Hey, Julie. So today we have a special episode for Marathon Monday, which is Patriots Day, and that is today, April 20th. And we have two very special guests back on the podcast, Dan DeFonso and Ken Trombatori, our dear friends who we share um, most of our Boston Marathon experiences with, and we thought it would be appropriate and important to have them on this special episode today. And our goal today in recording this episode is to bring our listeners some joy and just uh, the opportunity to hear about some fun firsthand and poignant Boston experiences on a day that should be our Marathon Monday, but instead is a day that we are staying home and doing the right thing to celebrate Patriots Day. And so when everyone's out on their runs and listening to this, just know we are with you in spirit and understand how you feel. And we hope that this podcast episode brings you some joy as we hope it will bring us as we have these conversations. So we're going to get started. And first, um, between the four of us, we've run a lot of Boston's, but Lisa, you have run the most out of all of us. Why don't you share, for those who don't know already, how many Boston marathons you've run? So this year would have been my 17th Boston marathon. I did the first one in my first Boston in 2001, and then I've missed three uh, Boston marathons. Um, I'm trying to remember which ones they were exactly, but I was one, two, three, 2004, I believe. I'm, I'm sorry, let's see, 2005, I think, yes, 2005 I missed. Um, I was actually going through IVF treatment at the time and was in the middle of an IVF cycle. And anyone who's done that knows you don't get to run marathons in the middle of an IVF cycle. So I put it on the back burner. 2006, I was lucky enough to have had a successful IVF cycle and um, my twins who are now 14 this year were born on March 29th. So I clearly could not run in April of 2006. And then in 2007, oh, so I'm sorry, it was 2004 that I missed. And then I went back in 2005, 2006, I missed. And 2007, I had found out right before Boston that I was pregnant with our um, third. So, um, so I did not get to run. I, deci- I decided that year I was not well-trained and didn't think it was a good idea to run uh, the marathon when I was pregnant. And lucky for me, I remember sitting at my desk and getting a weather alert uh, in 2007 for the Nor'easter that was coming through. And I thought, wow, I got, I got lucky. So, so those are the three years I missed. And other than that, I run every single year and we'll do so every year. I go, at least I thought until, you know, every year that we have the marathon. And I love what Dave McGilvery said on our podcast this past week that it's not Marathon Monday. I mean, think to us in our heads it is, but it's not Marathon Monday. It's Patriots Day because there is no marathon taking place in Boston this year. So we can assure ourselves that we're not missing Marathon Monday. Uh, we're missing Patriots Day in Boston. Well said, Lisa. So for Dan and... Um, Ken and I, our first Boston collectively was 2007. Is that right, Dan? No, I, I ran my first race in 2005. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, so um, Lisa, before we get to Dan's first race in 2005, is there any one memory that you, um, that you have that um, you'd like to share from your collective early experiences of Boston? Uh, Yeah, I have one that's remarkable and one that's funny. And I've talked about the funny one in the past, but I'll just uh, what was remarkable to me to think back on it is that uh, I think I registered for that first Boston 
I don't know, maybe a month beforehand. I booked a hotel, I don't know, maybe a couple of weeks beforehand. Lots of hotels were open, easy to get flights. Uh, the shirts that were handed out were unisex cotton long sleeve shirts that I still have. So just thinking back, um, there was one wave that started at noon. So just thinking back, uh, it's remarkable to me how much the race has changed and how much the experience has changed. And I also uh, would go by myself until I met you, Julie, and then met all the MCRC folks who run the Boston. I would go by myself every year. So meeting people every year was actually really fun for me just in Athletes Village, or I would go to the pasta party and just introducing myself, sitting down and talking to people. I've met some really amazing people that some of which I still keep in touch with. And so that leads to my sort of funny story, which I've told before, I think on the podcast, so I'll, I'll keep it short. But um, as I started the race, uh, there was a older man running next to me shirtless um, with a long white beard and he's huffing and puffing along. And he says to me, this, I am uh, 67 years old. This is my 76th marathon. And I don't know, this may be the first time that I, um, that I don't requalify. I've requalified for Boston every single marathon I've ever run. This may be the first time. I'm just not feeling it this time. You know, what do you think your time's going to be? And I told him what I thought my finish time would be. He said, oh, well, that would be great. If I finish in that time, I will requalify. If I stick with you, um, if you promise me a kiss at the finish line, that will keep me motivated. And um, I, would, I will stick with you the entire time. <laughs> and I thought, oh, this is really embarrassing and weird. And I kind of shrugged him off and Thought, okay. way, that's so creepy. <laughs> it was creepy. And I, but you know, smiled and thought, all right, just gotta be nice. And I thought, you know what? I'll lose him. Like we're at the beginning of the race. I will run a little faster, run a little slower. There are a lot of crowds, but I could not lose him for anything. I would think I would <laughs> lose him. And then he'd be huffing and puffing next to me and go, you know, start strike up a conversation again. And very nice guy. And, um, through Wellesley, I lost him and I thought, wow, okay. And, you know, I could breathe a little, I could, you know, didn't have this guy that kept running around me. Um, and, and at about mile 17, he got up to me again and he said, Oh, sorry, I lost you there for a little while. And Wellesley said, all those girls offering a kiss, I, you know, an old guy like me got to take that opportunity while you can. So he had done that, but he had found me again and he ran with me through the very finish. And at the this end, is he did Lisa's, not this is Lisa's me too moment. Yeah, I was going to say <laughs> He did not ask for a kiss at the end. He gave me, I think, a high five. And, um, but, you know, we left, went our separate ways. I didn't see him after the finish. And about, I don't know, say maybe two or three months later, at my office in my law firm, I got a package. And I opened the package, and it is a frame uh, with a picture. I think it was one, I, I was looking for it right before we got on the call, because I know I have it somewhere. It was a, a framed picture or pictures of our marathon photo pictures, because they were all together at all the picture checkpoints. We were right next to each other, and he sent them to me, and on the back of the frame, he posted all of his results from his, however many years he had done Boston, and, and most of the years he had actually won his age group in Boston, and I looked him up after, uh, and he turned out to be quite a prolific, amazing runner. He was also the race director for uh, a, a marathon in Huntsville, Alabama, and he invited, he sent me as well with the pictures, a complimentary entry for the marathon in Huntsville, which unfortunately I never, never got to take him up on the offer, but that was my, my fun first Boston story. Uh, and I've looked him up since, uh, I, I believe he has sadly passed away, but I found his bio online and he was actually a really impressive guy. So, uh, really neat guy. 
So I just keep saying that that's going to be me in, uh, I don't know what, 20 more years. I'm going to be running up to some, some young guy and I'm going to say, I'm <laughs> 67 years old and this is my 76 marathon. Will you help me requalify for Boston? And life yes. will have come full circle. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll hold you to that, that you hit on some young guy when you're running the Boston Marathon in your 60s. Um, so, Dan, um, your first Boston was in 2005. Um, if you recall or have any, do you have any um, poignant or funny memories from that? Uh, yeah. First, first of all, I want to say I'm drinking a 26.2 uh, beverage today as we're on our podcast. I have this from Love last, it. last year. It's aged a little bit, but I, I'm enjoying that. Um, and thank you guys again for having me. Um, my first experience, and I think the biggest thing for me about this whole podcast or this whole Boston Marathon adventure, um, this will be this will have been my 16th consecutive Boston if it were to have taken place uh, tomorrow. Um, but obviously, we're, we've got things on hold. I think the greatest memory for me, and I have odd memories, it's how it's how this whole thing has grown. I mean, I literally went up by myself. My family did come with me, but I didn't know a single soul. Uh, I'm sure there were people from MCRRC, but I didn't meet up with anybody. It so happened on the bus ride to the, uh, to, you talk about small worlds, on the bus ride to Hopkinton, a girl happened to sit next to me and I looked at her sticker on her bag and, she, and it said, her name is Janice, and I can't remember her last name. She actually had run with XMP and she was from Kensington. And we started talking, and she's the one that kind of talked me into joining uh, Montgomery County Roadrunners XMP program. So I, um, I, maybe I had already been a member. I'm trying to think of, I did 2005, but she's kind of the one that said, you should join this program. So I think the greatest thing for me about Boston is to watch from a group of basically no one to the now this massive group of 80 or 100 people that we have up there every year and the post-race party and the celebration and and just seeing everybody be successful. Sometimes people crash and burn, but everybody's there to support and uplift the people that didn't have great days. And I think it's interesting over the years, we've seen people have terrific days and people have bad days and everybody has something in between, but we always have these memories and, and just the celebration. I mean, Listen, the training together all year is great, but something about um, doing this as a group and all together and, and then celebrating at the end has always been so rewarding. So I have lots of funny stories over the years, nothing that stands out other than the fact that, you know, you, you didn't know anybody in the first year and the next year we had a couple more people and the third year we said, let's start meeting at a bar and the fourth year we're packing the bar and, and we've been doing it ever since. So to me, those are all great memories. You know, Dan, I have to say, when I think of Dan Defonso, what comes to mind is, it, I think you're pretty skilled at peeing in a Gatorade bottle. <laughs> yeah, that's something that I've learned to become skilled <laughs> at and you do that out of necessity. And again, those are, you talk about those stories and I think we talked about it the last time I was on your podcast, but there are some tricks and I learned a lot of this from uh, Nicole Desiel who was learned to be pretty good peeing, you know, under a trash bag. And I'm thinking, if a girl can do it, we can do it too. But there's something about, you know, I did a couple years of until I perfected my hydration methods of overhydrating. And if you don't have time to go to a bathroom or wait in a porta potty line before a race, as we've all had to do, it can be pretty nerve wracking. So you learn to go where you can. And, and if a Gatorade bottle is all you have, then a Gatorade bottle is what you get. <laughs> 
Well, congratulations on honing that skill. I think you're known among uh, many of the runners as being very proficient at it. So congrats. And I'm not the only one. There are a lot of people that now do it. So it's, Don't be modest, Dan. Don't be modest. <laughs> so Ken and I have the um, experience. We didn't know each other at the time, but we both shared the same first Boston Marathon um, which was 2007 in the Nor'easter, which we've talked about before in the podcast. And um, really, like, it really isn't even worth a conversation anymore because then we ran 2018, which really makes the 2007 Nor'easter look like a sprinkle. Yeah. So we'll get to 2018 in a few minutes. But that if 2018 hadn't happened, I think I would have been sharing our 2007 story, but I feel like all that was was some rain and wind, right, Dan? Right, Ken? Yeah, you know, compared to, to 2018, it, it wasn't as bad as they were saying it was going to be, right? We were we were kind of all prepared for the worst. I'm actually pulling up some old pictures and uh, actually have a scan of the old weather advisory that we had, and uh, we were ready for it to be shut down. And totally. Then the, the, you kind of woke up that morning and looked at the weather and they said, ah, it's not going to be that bad. And, you know, running, running that race, I don't remember the the rain or the wind being nearly as bad as it was, you know, in 2018. Um, it was, I, I do remember being extremely cold as soon as you crossed the finish line, but the wind was kind of concentrated. Yeah. I think 2007 for me, and I think we've talked about this, the, the, um, experience in Hopkinton was equally as bad in 2007 as, as 2018 and that it was sideways rain and wind but unfortunately in 2018 th that didn't clear up whereas in 2007 it kind of did and we were able to run but interestingly um 2007 I remember there being some fans but it wasn't nearly as crowded as other years but in 2018 everyone commented how it was comparably barren compared to other years but I would say and, and Ken correct me if, if you think differently that even though it was pretty sparse in 2018 the race has grown so much that there were a lot more spectators in 2018 even with worse weather than in 2007. I think it's like a badge of honor for the people of Boston to come out during the worst possible conditions you know <laughs> anybody can come out when it's nice and sunny but uh, you know, coming out when it's raining and, and, you know, just supporting the runners. And I think for the college kids, they just like getting out there and getting real drunk and, and oh, for sure. having a good time. For sure. So um, like, like Lisa and Dan, I didn't know anyone my first year and I, I was really thrilled to have met a lot of um, my, my still like all of you guys, um, best running friends um, after 2007. So my funniest memories, seemed to occur after um, I met all of you. But the one memory that sticks out, and I can't remember the year, so Ken, you're gonna have to tell me what year it was. You created some signage, and I'd like you to share what you guys did. So actually, I didn't create the signage. So we had uh, a, a good friend of ours, uh, Dr. Serwer. Uh, he was deployed uh, in another country and one of the things that they put up was these signs that said, you know, you have enough women, don't take a no chance, use a condom every time. And uh, it's spelled- So what country, was it Jamaica? Like, was it Jamaica? Like, where was, where was he? You know, I don't know. It might've been, it might've been Jamaica. Okay. Um, so he had sent me a picture, an email of this sign that apparently was posted everywhere. So I went ahead and quickly, you know, cleaned it up in Photoshop and 
and made a whole bunch of copies. And I and, probably brought 50 copies with me to Boston. And what did the sign say again? Can you say it a little slower? No, take a no chance. You know, don't take no, don't take a chance essentially, but no, take a no chance. Use a condom every time. <laughs> and uh, has like this suave looking guy on it, a couple of ladies and some tight, <laughs> tight little mini skirts, you know, because he's got many of the ladies. Um, and it's to help prevent the spread of AIDS. But these guys plastered those things everywhere. Oh my God, we plastered those things all over Boston. I probably had 50, 60 of them in a roll of tape. I mean, we had them on the buses, we had them in the porta potties. We put them up after the race. We would walk up to windows at restaurants that we were walking by. We just taped them to windows. They were in the elevators of the hotel. They were everywhere. And uh, yeah, that was the take of the chance. Ken, was that your first, um, like, you know, you're kind of known now for really planning elaborate um, shenanigans for Boston every year. We look forward every year to see what are you going to be dressed in for the Athletes Village. Was that the first time you did something like that or had you done stuff before? You know, I don't even remember the stupid stuff I do. Everyone always tells me stories of all the stupid stuff, I things I did, but that was probably, yeah, the first year we did something like that. And that um, set the stage for every year after that where you had to. That kind of sets the stage. And like I said, I, I usually don't plan a lot. I just kind of end up doing really stupid things. I bullshit. You totally planned that. That none taking a chance campaign. You spent <laughs> a lot of time, like making sure that your signs properly mimicked the signs in Jamaica or wherever Brad was, and then you copied them. Then you schlepped them to Boston. <laughs> then you are you carefully decided where to place them. You brought tape on the bus <laughs> and Hopkinton. And then you, I remember like you had your cereal. That's another story, but you, oh, that's another story. Yeah. That yeah. was the first year. Okay. So we'll talk about that in a second, but you, you always bring the cereal with you. Like the rest of us are eating on the bus, you know, our banana and a bagel or Lisa and I always have our oatmeal and we're trying really hard to sort of be really careful about how we plan our meals. And Ken, you must have the stomach of iron because you literally bring with you a huge Ziploc of freaking, basically it's colon blow. <laughs> it's basically like fibrous cereal that you munch on. So I just had this vision of you munching on this fiber cereal colon blow while <laughs> on the bus to Hopkinton as you're meticulously taking scotch tape and taping none take a chance <laughs> signs facing outward on our bus so that other buses would see you with the sign please don't tell me that that was like a <laughs> casual operation <laughs> to me that was so I mean, it was it wasn't like i like spent like hours and hours i'm like this is a funny sign let's pay put it everywhere <laughs> you know, let's I share often, it with the world i often wonder if ken had he concentrated more of his energy on his racing and that is his pre-race shenanigans he'd be a 230 marathoner so yeah so you know you like i said my, my joke is i used to train and i used to care and now i just kind of go run but uh uh, you know, it's kind of more fun. The, the stories are more of those stories than, hey, I ran this fast time at this time. Um, sometimes just the, the stupid things we do are, are a lot of fun. Ken, did you have any plans for this year? Or had you not gotten around to that yet? You know, I hadn't gotten that far. Okay. Uh, you know, I don't like to pre-plan a lot. I like yeah. to fly by the seat of my pants uh, and go up to the Goodwill store, you know, a week before Boston and just kind of look around and, and, and let uh, – the creative juices flow and go, oh, I could use that, I could do that, I could do something like that. 
Uh, yeah, let's talk a little bit about up. that. Let's let's go back. I don't know if you can remember in chronological order. Maybe from the pictures can help us. But let's talk a little bit about some of the some of the more memorable, um, uh, you know, get-ups that you've had for for our you know. So for anyone who doesn't know who's listening, uh, for Boston Marathon, there you, you head to Athletes Village early in the morning, and the race doesn't start until after 10 o'clock in waves. So we get on, we have to go get in line on the bus for the buses in Boston. We get on the buses, ride out to Hoppington, sit in the athletes village. So there's a, a long time that you're, that you're kind of sitting around and, and depending on what the weather is, you know, you may need some warmer clothes and you've had some memorable uh, outfits. So do you want to go through some of those? Yeah. So the first year was 2014, right? After the bombing, we couldn't bring bags or anything like that. So we had to come up with something and most people were just going into their own closets and, and get some throwaway sweatshirts and, and things like that that they just wanted to get rid of anyway. But my theory was if you could be the best dressed person uh, at an event uh, for about $17 worth of clothes from Goodwill, why wouldn't you be? So I went up and, uh, you know, bought a suit uh, and I looked like the, um, like, the suit that I borrowed from a cousin that was about four or five sizes too big. So it was a, like a large suit and uh, some Italian shoes and uh, a nice shirt, a tie, uh, <laughs> really, you know, kind of decked it out pretty nice. Went and got some cheap sunglasses that I think might've been gold rimmed, maybe some speckles on there, something like that. And uh, I was the best dressed guy up at Hopkinton. And I think, I think the whole thing together, I think I, I think I splurged and maybe spent like 30 bucks on that. And it was like olive green. It was it was styling. It was great. Remember you texting me from Goodwill, like you're not a big texter. And every year I would get like a flurry of texts from you the week before Boston, not about our logistics. There's the picture. You look really suave. <laughs> Nothing about like, you know, here's my race plan or here's what I'm thinking about eating. Like never your texts were always like, so I'm here at Goodwill right now. And here, and then you would snap pictures of all of the different outfits that you plan on wearing in Hopkinton. And it always cracked me up that your focus really for the week before the marathon was truly what am I going to wear in Hopkinton? And we have to say, we're looking at the pictures here, the group pictures from before, from before boarding the buses and everyone's got their sweats on and their, you know, old fleeces and right in the middle, this is really suave debonair guy with a beautiful suit and polka dotted tie and really cool sunglasses. I mean, that's like, you know, the, the most fun is to be with you when, when, when you're dressed like this because the reactions of all the other runners and volunteers when you yeah. get off the buses, that's the fun part. Ken kind of looks like the character from Big when he shrinks down to a, to a kid size, still wearing the adult uh, suit, but but he's but he looked the, he looked good. And it's suspenders too. Look at that. I got suspenders. I forgot about the suspenders. Oh, those are gold oh. suspenders. Yeah, look at those. Oh, and I forgot about this. I loved that fanny pack that year. That was 2014, the first year where we were all up in arms because we had to, for the first time, figure out how to stuff everything we owned into a fanny pack because after the bombings, they were, of course, limiting what we could bring into Hopkinton. No more big bags of stuff. And that fanny pack was fabulous. I'm looking at a picture right now. It matches your suspenders. It's metallic. Yeah. Well, talk, talk about your fanny pack. It's your fanny pack. Let's be clear on that. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, Julie, it's completely bedazzled with with <laughs> silver sequins or something like that. It, it literally is like a 
a hot spot on the camera, like blinds the camera because the sun's reflecting off of it in this picture. It's like a stripper fanny pack. It's got like, yeah, it's totally, it's beautiful. Because then, strippers wore fanny packs. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, that would make things so much more convenient picking up the money. That's what that's stuffed with, dollar bills. <laughs> Exactly, Dan. Thank you. Jewel, um, Julie earned her keep up in Boston. Then. <laughs> yeah. So, but um, you really focused on what to wear before the race. Um, I really focused on what to wear during the race. I, I really enjoy every year wearing something on my head that allows, um, you know, that keeps my hair back, but simultaneously uh allows people to yell things at me because when people yell things at me if, if it's even if it's not my name I don't care if it's my name it still motivates me so I started wearing a crown it kind of came through it was kind of by accident a few years ago and I really enjoyed it when people would yell yes queen yes queen while we were running and so it was really fun so every year I've had some sort of crown or accoutrement on my head so this year I got it pretty early before I knew about the cancellation. I'm going to put it on so you guys can see. Isn't it beautiful? Oh my Girl. gosh, that is gorgeous. It's like Wonder Woman a little bit. Yeah, it's got some color. So I'm going to say very that secure too. it's Lisa. Thank you. It's, it's very secure. It holds my hair back. So I'll, I'll save it for when we're back, you know, running Boston, but I, I think you guys deserve a preview. So I'll keep it on for the rest of the podcast, but this was what my outfit was going to include. So I love it. I love it. You look regal. Thank you very much. Thank you. But I think one of my best outfits was the year that I accidentally bought Noah Sapper's uh, old basketball clothes. Oh my God, that was the best. Oh, that's right. It's the same thing. I was like going back and forth to like between Goodwill and uh, Salvation Army. And uh, again, same thing. I don't really go in with a plan. I was like, okay. And I, I saw these basketball shoes, which I regret not buying because they were really nice Nike like apples that I think someone's girlfriend like got mad at them and then took them over to Goodwill. So I'm over at Salvation Army trying to put something together and I'm like, okay, I could go with like as a basketball player. So I kind of start putting together, I'm like, I could be like Kenny's basketball player. I can get like this black thing with the red stripes and everything like that. It was a little small, a little snug, but but workable. I'm like, okay, I buy this stuff and I go back to the Goodwill or wherever to get the shoes and they were gone. But I'm like, okay, I can work with this. So I'm, I'm telling Julie about it and she's like, I, I, I sent her a picture and she goes, where did you get that from? I said, I, I got it from the Goodwill over in Gaithersburg. She goes, I just made a donation to that Goodwill of some basketball clothes of Noah Sappers. And those are the clothes. Oh my God. You accidentally bought Noah's old basketball clothes. Could have cut out the whole middleman and just taken him from Julie yeah, in the first place. If I would have known. I had never heard that story. That's awesome. It was oh, yeah. awesome, but also really, if I could, Ken, you just describe them as a little small. They were so snug because <laughs> they were, at the time, my like fifth graders, old baggy shorts, which on Ken were not baggy. So they were snug. <laughs> oh, man. So anyway, um, yeah, so that was a big part of um, many of our Bostons and will continue to be is the adventures in Hopkinton. So, Dan, I want you to talk about, um, you have a story um, that the, the source agreed, or the subject of the story, rather, agreed that you could share without a name. So why don't you go ahead and tell that? Well, I mean, we have so many good stories of the post-race celebrations. And again, we started uh, 
there's, you know, we're, we're not, you run 26 miles, you're mildly dehydrated, and we're probably not attuned to drinking a lot of beer because most of us average weight is 150 pounds for the guys. So uh, we've gone out and we've imbibed a lot more than, than uh, we should have. But um, one, one year, one of us who will go nameless um, had a little bit too much to drink in the bars um, uh, that night. And it's, and it's not me, it's one of our friends. Um, but I'll never forget looking over and this person in the in the middle of the lobby of the park plaza at midnight. We're trying to get everybody home safely. He's throwing up in the mop bucket of the uh, lobby of the park plaza hotel thing, and did it very discreetly, I got to say. But thinking later that some poor custodial worker is going to plunge his mop in here and, and swab the floors with this puke laden mixture is. <laughs> Just kind of funny. And I think part of it is we're all kind of looking and going, what is happening here? But this is the kind of stuff that these are the kind of memories that you have that, that really make uh, the stories and the years. Uh, and they get better with time, as, as we all know. So I, I love those stories. But that's that's one of them in particular that um, I have seared into my brain. Dan, what was your favorite Boston you know, I have strange, strangely good memories of the year of the Nor'easter, and I think probably because I had a fast race that year, but I think it was also fun because I, and I think I maybe mentioned this the last time we chatted too, Ken Trombatori and Kevin Yates were a minute in front of me, each one, and I could basically see them the whole race. Um, so I, I had a good experience because I had a good race that day. The other race, and I don't remember the year, but I had a great race where we had been running with about seven or eight of us from the club. And I remember specifically Chris Rankin and Noam Nussner were all running together and we were kind of keeping each other in check early. And we literally all stayed together for the first 20 miles. And then everybody kind of, you know, the people that weren't feeling it were dropping back and other people were pushing forward. And that was the most fun race I had because it was communal. It was, everybody was, looking out for each other. We were the people that had a habit of going out a little too quick. And I'm one of those people that tend to do that. The people that were, were uh, more disciplined were holding us back. And then after that, we just kind of every man for himself and everyone pretty much had a great, uh, great race that year, especially Chris Rankin, who just killed it and, um, you know, had a fantastic race. But anyway, I have great memories when we're all together. Again, this is a very, I always say running is such an individual sport Yet, I love it because of the relationships I make while I'm, while I'm running. And I'm talking usually about the training. Very rarely do I run with people during a race unless they're doing my pace. So to, to have 20 miles of company and good company that was, that was helping me was awesome that day. And, and I have a very fond memory of that race, whatever year that was. Um, how about you, Lisa? What race, I, I think I know what you're going to say, Lisa, but I want to hear it from you. What race was your I favorite? Have, I have two, and one is is along the lines of, of what Dan was just talking about. Um, 2012, the hot year, uh, was actually one of my favorites for, for several reasons, but primarily because we kind of threw everything, all the the um, tension and anxiety around the race, it like all went out the window. You know, you get the start line a lot of times and everyone's hyped up and, you know, they've been preparing for this for so long. And that year, everyone kind of just thought, you know what, we are all in this together. Um, we, you and I, Julie, had so much fun, like scrambling the night before trying to get uh, hydration, like, you know, salt tabs, Gatorades, all the stuff we could possibly get. And, you know, I love warm weather. So I was, I wasn't, 
disappointed. It was not, you know, safe, I don't think, to run. And that was actually very hot. But the other thing I really liked was that, um, you know, I, I started with a bunch of people from our club, but namely our friend, Dr. Firestone, um, who does not run well in the heat. And he dropped back a few corrals and said, I'm going to start with you uh, and, and just run real easy for, for him, which was, and, and both, it was easy for both of us. And let's just run the first part of this together. And um, it felt really weird to be starting the Boston Marathon at a slower pace than, you know, than you had anticipated running. But it was so, like, laid back, and everyone was friendly, and uh, Lee and I got to run together for the first, I think it was, like, 10 or 12 miles. And then he actually did decide to duck into a medical tent just to take a little break. Um, and and I felt good that race. I think because I started slow, and going back to Dan's point of you know, having somebody to reel you in and not starting out too fast, I felt great at the finish. So that, and that, that just, that, the vibe that year was so fun with, um, you know, people out with their sprinklers and handing out water and ice, ice and beer or whatever they were handing out and just everyone kind of having fun with the race. So that was a fun race for me. And then by far, I think though, my favorite, uh, was 2014, the year after the bombings going back, that energy of the crowd that year was indescribable. It was like, people were just so proud and happy to be back and to prove that what had happened the year before wasn't going to get us down. That was the year Meb won. It was just such the energy. I felt like I was pushed through that entire race on crowd support and energy. And like I flew through the whole race. So those were my, those were my two favorite years. What about you, Julie? Uh, I have so many, but to your point, 2012 was my favorite year because I really enjoyed, um, being creative with you and trying to troubleshoot this challenge of running a race in beach weather. And we gave up on having a PR. I had trained really hard that season. And there was a part of me briefly that was sort of mourning the, the loss of not being able to run the race I had intended, but having so much fun with everyone there knowing we were in it together and wearing the chili towel around my neck for the entire race, thinking that that would somehow fix my problem of running in 85 degrees, which was a false narrative, but I felt like it was. And then at the, like the last five miles of that race, um, Ken's um, lovely wife and my dear friend, Jenny Traumatory jumped in and ran um, a few miles of that with me. And it was just so much fun to um, run with her and, and bring that in. And I was so, I think everyone was, I was just super proud to finish that year and, and, and feel like I had run the best I could in 85 degrees. And um, it was a really, it was a really fun year for that reason. And just hearing everyone's war stories and being in it together. Um, I didn't feel that way about 2018. Now, theoretically I should have because Similarly, we all sort of threw our race goals in the, in the toilet once we saw the weather. But um, for me personally, I had more fears about running 2018 in that weather than in 2012. And I'm sure there's many people that had the opposite feeling. They were more scared to run in heat. But for me, 2018, I, I, I remember it as a challenge that I, I shared with Ken. And I'm so grateful, Ken, that I got to run it with you. But I will never look back on that race fondly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 2018 yeah. Thought, taught us all that we are much stronger than we think we are. I yes. come home from that and I thought there is nothing I can't do. Like really literally yes. 
nothing I cannot do. So I 100% agree. I mean, I remember everybody thinking, <laughs> and I, I couldn't have been much more miserable, but I've never been so accidentally happy that I overdressed at the beginning of that race. And again, mm-hmm. I've told this story before, but I, I wear, um, I'm pretty boring when it comes to what I wear uh, in Hopkinton, as everybody knows. I put on my Tyvek suit that uh, Owen Graham had turned me on to a few years ago. It's waterproof. It keeps me warm. And I use that pre-race. It works for me. I'm a, I'm, I'm a man of very little change. If something works, I stick with it. I don't do what Ken does and put on my Lobsterman outfit. I'll wear that Tyvek until it doesn't work anymore. Anyway, I, I ended up wearing that Tyvek suit in 2018 um, to the start, which I was surprised about. I thought I'd leave that at the tents. And then I ended up wearing it for over half of the race, which I couldn't believe. The only reason I even got rid of it is I was starting to get some chafing in between my legs. So that's... But that saved my life because I looked at other people and you hear about many of our friends, our, our MCRRC friends were in the medical tents um, and we escaped that. And I think it was because I was warm for the first half of the race. That was dangerous. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I would love to talk, take a poll and see who thought, you know, which race was worse. I, I mean, what are your thoughts, guys, in terms of your, how your bodies reacted did you prefer running in um, 2012 under those conditions or 2018 under those conditions? Which was worse for you? I'll, I'll chime in real quick. I, I prefer heat. I do okay in the heat. But I think a lot of it is if you have the common sense to slow down. And I remember very vividly, and I think some of us have a, at least I have this Papa Bear mentality um, to take care of people. But I, my nervousness was to try to warn people in Hopkinton you got to run slow and you got to take it easy. And I think if you did that and you were concentrating on hydration um, Mm -hmm. and I can only in the end worry about myself, but I do while the whole race, I kind of spent a lot of time worrying about others. Um, And I, I was doing fine because I went slow and I just took it like, this isn't going to be a fast day. Just stay alive, just live to run another day. And that's kind of how, um, I was hoping that other people would take it. So that's, that's my philosophy of running in the heat. The cold was, I had the opposite experience, which is like, make sure you keep running because if you start walking, you're going to get hypothermia. So I was nervous that I was going to punch out and have to, and start to get cold. So I was most relieved that I was able to run the entire distance. In fact, I had a faster time um, in 2018 than I did you know, the year prior. And I think part of that was just nervousness about stopping. Yeah. How about you, Ken? You know, I, I I think once you get cold, it's hard to get warm again, right? Like mm-hmm. if you get hot, you can always kind of cool down. You can always run through a sprinkler or something like that. But when you get cold and it gets kind of down to the bone, it's it's really hard to recover. So, you know, don't really prefer either. But if I had to, I, I'd probably say the heat. Ken, what were your what were your most memorable years? So, of course, first year, um, because my dad was able to come up for that one. And, uh, you know, he passed away uh, a couple years after that. Um, So he came for that one. So that was, of course, real special year. Um, You know, my wife's first Boston, uh, you know, was having going back and actually finishing the race and then going back and and running the last mile in with her, uh, you know, kind of diving off about a mile before the finish uh, was, of course, great. And then I just... I just love going every year. I, I, I love the um, surprise you get sometimes in weather. I mean, even when it's the, the worst day, it's persevering through it when it's a hot day. And it's just everyone getting to the end together and being like, wow, that was 
it was a crap storm, but we all got through it and, and just hanging out and having beers and trading stories. I mean, I've always said the best marathon stories are not the ones where you had a great PR and everything went perfectly to plan. Best marathon stories are the ones that you tell over and over again about how horrible it was and who you were with. Well, thank you for reminding me because tomorrow would be a really, if tomorrow were more than just Patriots Day and we're a marathon more Monday, let's tell ourselves that we would have had a really boring year because the weather looks absolutely perfect for running a marathon. We all would have felt a lot of pressure to run our very best race and PR. So now we don't have that pressure because the weather looks perfect and we can't run. <laughs> You know, my, my theory on that, it's kind of like, uh, you know, that scene from Pulp Fiction, it's like sewer rack, it tastes like steak, but I wouldn't know because I didn't, won't eat the dirty mf'er. Kind of like that, you know, could be the greatest day in Boston. It doesn't matter because we ain't running it. So just enjoy enjoy the day and enjoy the time with the family. Yeah, I, I always, I have the same philosophy, which is that we all got the same weather and I spend, I try to spend very little energy worrying about the weather. I try to worry about the stuff I, I have control over, but you're right. I mean, it's what could have, should have been, as Ken was saying too, you have a great race. Everybody had the same conditions on that day. So you can kind of all reminisce or, or you can moan or, or celebrate the great conditions or whatever you had that day. Um, but every race is a little bit different because of that. And that's the beauty of the marathon is you can't do this every weekend. You got a, you know, you you got a shot at it, and you take it, and then you uh, may have six months, or if you're lucky, three months before you can have another good race. Yeah, absolutely. So, just before we sign off, I wanted to pivot a little bit and just talk to you guys about um, how you personally are handling this time of uncertainty and and how you are approaching it with your running and anything that you'd like to share with our listeners on your your feelings about how to sort of um, maintain um, a healthy state of mind as we run through this time of uncertainty. Um, I'll speak first, Ken, if that's okay. Um, yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I'm in an interesting place because I'm just coming back from injury. I had a wicked case of plantar fasciitis that has taken me since last July. And I'm just now, I'm hoping climbing the, the ladder and getting over it. I think I'm 80% with like a 1% uh, improvement each week. So I'm grateful just to be running. Um, I am, as we talked about before, I'm a people person. I would much prefer to run with people than run alone. But I'm actually really enjoying my time alone right now, running alone, really because we have to, and, you know, catching up on podcasts. Again, I have a, a number of them that I have to catch up, including some of yours. Um, but that to me has been good time. Um, I do my best thinking when I'm on my, my run solo. I don't do that same, I don't get that same clarity when I'm with other people, but um, it's the trade-off and it, it, it makes you appreciate the things that we have. I mean, we're really lucky, A, that we're able to run, but we, so far we have our health and we have, um, you know, our, our friends and family that are in sim similar places. And I find it interesting via social media and Strava that we're able still to kind of connect. Um, even though I'm not seeing the people I regularly run with, we're able to kind of share our runs and share our experiences in very similar ways. So I, I'm kind of using this time to appreciate the gift of running and really um, enjoying running alone, uh, knowing that I don't always have to do it, but, but now it's, it's that sacrifice. How about you, Ken? So kind of, uh, you know, I've said this before, I'm, I'm not a big winter runner, so I, I'm kind of happy that the race got moved because uh, I think I'll get a better training cycle in. But, uh, you know, kind of same thing Dan said, you know, just kind of enjoying the runs, 
Um, one thing that's been nice is my kids are finally at an age where they can keep up uh, with my wife and I at, for longer distances. So we actually did our first family run this past week where we did about six miles, six and a half miles uh, with our girls on their bikes. And uh, so that was nice, you know, with minimal tears, some tears because it was a little chilly and there were some hills that we had to push them up. But uh, that, you know, helped our training a little bit. Um, That's actually, just enjoying, I'm kind of enjoying the shutdown a little bit. Uh, we're spending a lot of times outside. Our kids are on their bikes constantly, kind of more like we were when we were kids. So we're not rushing around trying to get to you know, school of religion and dance class and, and sports and things like that. So we're spending a lot more time outside, just running around the yard. We have a, a very small little pond. So they're fishing frogs out of there. So I'm just kind of appreciating the, the time that we're getting to spend together. I know that sounds kind of cliche and a lot of parents are probably like, please take my children. Um, and, and I feel like that sometimes as well, but uh, I'm actually, I'm not, I'm not hating it by any stretch. How about you guys? Um, I think for me, uh, I have great, I don't even want to say good days and bad days. I have good moments and bad moments. So it just depends. I think every day, like our family is trying to find a silver lining in every day and, and we have a list and there are plenty. Um, but for me, um, my heart hurts knowing that, the reason that we're shut down is is a pandemic where people are sick and dying. And while I try really hard to focus on the things I can control, and we, we've talked about this a lot on the podcast, uh, I, I would be dishonest if I didn't say that this this doesn't keep me up at night. I worry. And so running has been a savior for me because it's meditative and it allows me to calm myself when I get anxious about what's happening in our world so that I can come back from my run and, and, and be a, a better mom to my kids and a better wife to my husband because it doesn't help anyone if I'm walking around with this low level anxiety. Um, so in, as a marathoner, I, I think what I've come to realize over the past month is that this, this is our marathon. We have to start out slow. We have to be patient. We aren't sure how it's going to end. We know there is an end, but we're not sure how it's gonna go. But if we're smart about it and we're methodical and we use all the tools we have in our toolbox and all the tools we have in our head, chances are it's gonna be okay. But if we're stupid and we rush through it and we try to take shortcuts, we're either going to get injured or we're not going to have the finish we want. Yep, well so said. that's mm -hmm. how I'm trying to look at this. And, and I know races will be back and I, we don't know when, but they'll be back. And um, if, if you'll indulge me for a second, I do want to read something that um, I read an article the other day that really spoke to me. Um, we actually put it up on our Facebook page, but, I just wanted to read one part of it. It's by Erin Strout, who's the editor of Women's Running Magazine. And she talks about how weird it is right now to be in this position, not running Boston because of a pandemic. And um, she says in the article, even when our heart aches, we summon the strength that maybe we didn't even know we had and we carry on, we finish the race. We finish the race and we do that because of who we are. And we do that because we know that somewhere around the bend, a stranger has a cup of water. Around the bend, somebody's there to boost our spirits. On that toughest mile, just when we think that we've hit a wall, someone will be there 
to cheer us on and pick us up if we fall. She quotes Barack Obama in that. That's something that he said um, during the 2013 memorial service for the victims of the bombings. So we, we got through that and that was our personal health. Although it involved less people, it still was something that none of us could imagine ever happening and it was tragic and, and certainly a, a different kind of tragedy than what we have now, but so tragic. We got through that and as Lisa mentioned earlier, that comeback was spectacular. So my with keeping me going and I think everyone else, whether a runner or not, is what our comeback when it happens will look like. So that's where I am. How about you, Lisa? And I, Well, real quick, I think we'd be negligent not to talk about some of the great things you've just done in terms of helping support local businesses and providing food to, uh, you know, hospital workers and, and some of the next things that you're looking at doing. But uh, I would just like to say thank you for, for doing things like that because those things really do make a difference. And uh, you, you've turned something negative into something extremely positive. So, you're here. so thank you're you for here. doing that. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Dan. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Lisa, talk to us. Tell us how you're doing and, and what's getting you through everything. Yeah, I mean, I'm sort of along, uh, I hear what Ken's saying, and I agree with him. I have actually been enjoying it, I, I think mostly, too, because that's uh, really my, our only choice. I mean, if we're going to be miserable in this, then that's, you know, that's not going to do any good. We're, we're in this for however long we're in it. And um, I have actually really been loving the extra time with my kids and, uh, you know, they had some time off for spring break the last couple of weeks. So we had extra, extra time. And uh, we've been doing those things that we don't ever get a chance to do. We've been going out for bike rides. We've been playing board games. We've been doing jigsaw puzzles, all those things that you always think like you want to do and, but you're busy running kids to an activity or school or homework or, you know, work or whatever scheduling things Our busyness gets in the way. And so I, I've actually I told somebody, I'm going to get a little too used to this. Like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to go back <laughs> to real life. Now, of course, I would prefer that this would happen without a side of, of tragedy in the world. So if we could have this without all of the sadness that's going on, I would, I would, I would quickly take that. But, um, but I, I also uh, think what you were just saying about um, the comeback being better than the setback and us seeing that in many facets, but in you know using the example of 2013 to 2014 Boston. And I know that our comeback is gonna be much better than the setback because we're all gonna have a new appreciation for all of the things that we took may have taken for granted before. Just the ability to travel, the ability to run a race, the ability to, you know, we took so much of that for granted, I think, that just, we assumed every year. I never thought there would be a year that there wasn't a Boston Marathon. I thought maybe I wouldn't make it because I didn't qualify or something injury or sickness or something, but never in my head did I ever think, and, I, and we talked to Dave McGilvery about this, never in his head did he ever think there'd be a year that it wasn't, you know, the weather threatening to cancel it, that it was something like this took, took it off the calendar. So um, I think that when we do come back, I think that we're going to come back with a lot of gratitude and appreciation for, for some of those things that we may have taken for granted before. So I'm looking forward to, the, to that with hope and optimism. And uh, it's, you know, for me, it's a little challenging because we don't have a timeline and we don't, you know, all of us, I think like schedules and planning and, you know, give me a, a, a tell me when we'll be back or when we're going to do this. And in a marathon, we know 26, 22 miles, we will be at the finish line. We don't have that here. 
So I think uh, that's a little bit challenging, but just trying to, like we've talked about before on the podcast, just trying to uh, make the decision myself to, to make the best of this and, and appreciate the, the things that we do have now that we may not have once we get back to our busy, our busy lives. So, and, and I would like to, I would like to continue some of that. Like I want to make sure that I still make an effort to do those things that I'm finding now that I really love and that are fulfilling me, even when we get back to, to the busy, busy times. So, so hanging in there. And, and like I said, maybe getting a little too comfortable. Yep, I agree. So I just want to point out before we sign off that none of us talked about our race times once during this conversation. That wasn't intentional, but it really underlines that that's not what matters with all of our running experiences. It's the experiences. It's all the things that surround those race times that matter. We really didn't talk about it at all. The people we experience it with, that to me, I mean, that's that's what I look forward to every year. That's like, you know, we finish Boston, we fly home, Julie from Boston and already I'm thinking <clears throat> how many days until next year, because it's that experience of being in Boston together. It's all these pictures that Ken's been putting up while we've been, we've been recording this and we're on a video zoom. So we've been, uh, I, I, every time I talk, I have to look away from the screen because otherwise I get Wait. distracted. Can you but go back these- to that picture that you just showed? Um, yes, that one. <laughs> Um, we are currently looking at a photo <laughs> of Jeff, Jeff Mayer, an esteemed educator with Montgomery County Public Schools, who has photos drawn on his, his bare chest. On his nipples. On his nipples. His nipples. With well, <laughs> smiley faces on each nipple. Not to mention the name Lee on yeah. his arms for yeah. people to cheer him on during the race. So. Which is the name of our other friend, yeah. Lee being the esteemed Dr. Firestone. <laughs> so Jeff is getting ready to race Boston with pictures on his nipples with the name Lee down his left arm. Not that- just pictures, smiley faces. Like, let's <laughs> one is winking. Make sure one you know winking. one is winking. This is emojis. Were this, was this before emojis or was this, was this pre-emoji? This was, or was 2013. This is, I think yeah. this was pre-emoji. Like these were the earliest emojis. I think they were called emoticons back then. Okay. <laughs> emojis, yeah. Yeah, so you've been putting these pictures up as we've been talking. And, I mean, the, the memories are amazing and hilarious. And, and this is what I'm going to miss the most this year. So that, this I, I agree. And, again, it's what you guys are saying. It's really about the people and the experiences. I mean, again, we're doing this together. It's not like I didn't have a good time in my first marathon. But it's way more fun when we've got our gaggle of friends and people to laugh and cry with and share these experiences with. And these are the things, as each of you have all said, that we remember indefinitely and forever. It's the times that we had with each other. It's less about the race itself. And, and um, I love, I'm so, I'm so thankful for the gift of friends and running friends and, and being able to do this sport. And we'll be back. We will be back. We'll be back. We will be back. We don't know when, but we will, we will be back and we will still have that and, and many, many more years of these great memories. So, well, thank you so much, Dan and Ken, for coming on our podcast for the third time. You guys are always terrific and we greatly appreciate your time and bringing smiles to our faces and we wish you continued health and um, fun times with your families and we'll of course be in touch but um, happy running and we look forward to the day when we can all run together again. Thanks for having us. Happy Patriots Day everyone. Happy Patriots Day. Happy Patriots Day. Bye. Bye.